How to Witness to Roman Catholics. We covered part one this morning. But look at the first verse. This verse is an awesome verse. Because this is really what is going on in the Catholic Church. You see, they can't get Christ off the cross. And they keep crucifying him over and over and over again. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice which can never take away sin. Whatever it does, it can't take away sin. So you can't and don't need to ask a priest to forgive you of your sins. We have a high priest, and he's the only high priest we need. And he's quite capable of handling the job. Look at the next statement. Whatever the Catholics might think the sacrifice of Mass can do for him, one thing we know it cannot do. It cannot take away sins. And this is really the last thing that I talked about this morning. So it's just a little bit of a, a refresher, uh, you know, to kind of review just a tad, because I think that is such an important uh, point to cover. Look at the next statement. It is God's will that the sacrifice of Christ would pay for all sin, and that those who would receive that payment would be made pure and holy in God's eyes forever. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In Hebrews chapter 10, that whole chapter is one awesome chapter. And it really lays it out pretty good. You look at verse 10, then you look at verse 12, and then you look at verse 14. All three of those verses are really tremendous verses. And then verse 11 laying right in the middle of there, because no priest can take away your sins except the great high priest, which is Christ himself. Now look at the next statement. I want you to see this verse. Look in the Bible to the book of Romans in chapter 6. Romans and chapter 6. Because the way it's worded is something to remember. And remember, if you witness enough, you'll find out that believing that, especially with Roman Catholics, that their sins are all paid for is the hardest thing for you to get them to see. Once they see it, it's like a light bulb comes on. Because now they don't need to... You know, the confession or the priest or the mass to pay for their sins. It's already been done. They can know they have eternal life, know they're going to heaven. But like I said, always try to agree where you can agree. And one thing that they believe just like we believe is they believe that the Bible is the word of God. So do we. They believe that Jesus is born of a virgin. Well, so do we. And they believe that we need a Savior. Well, so do we. They believe all have sinned. Well, maybe all of them, except one. And uh, we believe that uh, everybody's a sinner also. We believe that there's a heaven and a hell. Well, they believe that too. So when you can compliment them and can agree with them, well, then do so. Try to use what we call the sandwich technique. Ray always talked about the sandwich technique. It means that uh, something nice, and then you slap them, and then something nice so that you put it in between two compliments. Not really slap them, I'm talking about you know when you have to correct them or say something that they may not take very well. But you do agree with them on certain things, so if it's important and it needs to be done, do so. But in Romans in chapter six, and you'll notice there in verse nine, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, see those words, dieth no more. So there is no more payment for sin, no more sacrifice for sin. He's not coming back someday to pay for the sins that we commit in the future. If Christ did not pay for all of our future sins, he did not help us at all. 
So when he died 2,000 years ago, and I love that song, oh, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Just think of all the people that's ever lived. He was thinking about Yankee. Now, I don't know if he thought about you or not, but he did think about me. No, he thought about all of us. So he paid for our sins in advance, before we were ever born, before we ever committed a sin. Has Christ already paid for the sins that are in the future? Yeah, if he didn't, we're in a heap of trouble. He's going to have to come back and make a payment. But he dieth no more. He'll never make another payment. Because the one payment he made was sufficient for all the sins of every man once and for all. And they have a problem believing that. Now look in your notes there, and you'll just see, because we don't have time to cover every one of these scriptures, but I do want you to hit, uh, we'll hit some of these top ones. But look there in the next statement. The problem with the Catholic is that he doesn't really believe Christ paid for all his sins. And yet the Bible is very clear. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from, and in your Bible, you ought to mark these things and underline these things, because when you're witnessing to somebody, it's just little statements. Little statements. One little word that can drive home a point. And some people think that, you know, when you're going to witness, use as many scriptures as possible. <laughs> no. Use as few scriptures as necessary. You don't have to use a lot of scriptures. Just explain a couple of them. Sometimes you can get on Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and you don't have to go any further. Sometimes you can just use First John 5, 13. Uh, or John 3.16. You don't have to tell them everything in the Bible. Don't try to impress them with all of your knowledge. Just hone in on just a few things. And try to sense whether or not they're following you or not. Because you want them to trust the Lord. You should have a genuine love and care. Because even if they're Catholic, I don't care if they're Mormon, if they're Jehovah's Witness, whatever their religion may be. Remember, if you believe in works at all for salvation, it's poison. It cannot save. And a little leaven, leaven up the whole lump. A little poison in there can do a lot of damage. And so the Bible says that a man is saved by grace. It's not by works. All the religions must add something to the gospel. And they add works to it. They, they may differ in what the works may be. That's what separates one religion from another. True Christianity is grace alone. And so grace means that it has to be free and has to last forever. If one of those is missing, it's not the gospel. And so people add work to the message. Same poison on the inside, just different label on the outside. So that is found in the book of Titus in chapter 2 and verse 14. Look at the next statement. This is why it is a problem of grace and works. God says salvation is by grace. The Catholics will not deny this, but at the same time, he believes he must follow rituals and rules to make this grace of God effective on his behalf. And this is unscriptural. What verse shows that if salvation is by grace, then it cannot be of works as well? And the verse that I always use, I love the verse in Romans chapter 11 and verse 6. Anybody here can quote that verse? All right. Go ahead, Tyler. It is by grace that there is no more works, otherwise grace is no more grace. If you have works, there is no more grace, otherwise What Bible college do you go to? That sounds just like a good old Bible college student, doesn't it? That's very good. I mean, he ought to get an A in whoever got him in this class. That's right, he's in my class. He better know that verse. But it is a tremendous verse. It's either one way or the other. It cannot be both ways. Look at the next paragraph. Do you see that what the Catholic needs most, then, is for you to go over the plan of salvation? 
with him. Simply and with Scripture, showing him that the Bible says salvation is by grace through faith. And it may take a while. Like I said before, they have been raised to believe what the church teaches, what the priest says. They don't study the Bible. They don't know the Bible. Don't become intimidated by thinking, well, they really know their Bible. If you believe in works for salvation, you don't know the Bible. You don't know it. And the most critical thing of all the world is salvation. And if you don't understand that, the rest of it doesn't matter. Because you don't go to heaven unless you can get salvation right. That's the most critical thing that you'll ever teach anyone. So anyway, it may take a long time for the light to break through, but be patient. Remember this. His parents, his teachers, his priests, and even the Pope have been teaching him contrary to the word of God on this subject of salvation all his life. And they just don't see it. They don't understand it. And so the gospel is the light that helps a blind man see. Don't mock a man for being blind. You just be thankful that you can see and you have some discernment. But you want the person to think and to know and to believe you really do care about where they're going to spend eternity. Because if it's just you just want to argue with somebody, that's not worth anybody's time. Just to try to put somebody down and show them that you're right and prove that they're wrong. You want to win the person. You have to persuade the person. But do it with truth. And the Bible says speaking the truth in, what's that other word? In love. And that means you feel they're hurt in your heart. That's compassion. Where you care about that person. And they should sense that. I'll be honest with you. I've seen a lot of people, a lot of preachers. And I've been around for a few years. But the greatest person I have ever seen that I thought that when he talked to a lost man, that person felt like that person really cares about me, and that was Ray Stanford. When Ray talked and gave the gospel, there was like a tear in his voice, something that you could sense. And I mentioned this to you before, and it was the strangest thing. Ray had asked Mel's Carbonell and Walla Murillo to be co-directors of Ranch. And after them, me and Mike Schaefer was co-director of Ranch. But Ray would come into Ranch, and he would just tell some stories and it was like he was so unprepared. And he could goof off and all that there and tell jokes at the beginning of it. And then tell a few airplane stories, war stories, all that kind of And then he could close with the gospel and have 5, 10, 15 people trust Christ as Savior. He had to leave town, so Mel's had to speak. So Mel says, Yankee, pray for me. I said, Consider it done. And I'd pray for Mel's. So he's in ranch and he's speaking. He gave everything. I mean, he did everything right. He gave all the right salvation verses. He did the wallet illustration, poured out his heart. And when he got through, he gave the invitation, and not one person trusts the Lord. Mel's was devastated. He came up to me afterwards, and he said, Yankee, what, what did I do wrong? I said, no, you didn't do anything wrong. I mean, you didn't say anything out of the way. Everything was right. He says, but nobody trusts the Lord. I said, no, I, don't, I didn't understand it either. But anyway, Ray was going to go gone, and he's going to have to speak the next week, too. So he got up there and he really prepared. Now he was really going to do a better job. He did the same thing, same result. Afterwards, he was almost in tears. It broke his heart. He gave the same message that Ray gave, same gospel, but nothing 
The next week, Ray came back, and he told a couple places where he had gone and spoken to some schools and so forth, and about the singing group, the spokesman that went with him, and just kind of rambled, you know, a little bit. And, and oh, by the way, he just kind of casually, and throw the wallet over here, and he just gave the invitation to about 10, 15 people, trust the Lord. I'm serious. Have you ever seen him do that? It, there was something about the way he did it that people just sensed. That man really cares about me. Explain it, I can't. But I do believe that there's something about making the gospel clear and that God uses the message and the man and the motive. So keep that in mind. You have the most powerful thing in the world. So just give the gospel and trust God to use it. Just keep sowing seeds. When it seems like there's droughts and it seems like there's times of harvest, sometimes it seems like there's a lot of people trust the Lord and sometimes it don't. Two weeks ago, I think it was on Easter Sunday, we had a, I don't know, seven or eight, trust the Lord. And then next Sunday, nobody trusts the Lord. Explain it. Well, you've got to have fish in order to catch fish. So anyway, look at the next statement. Where it has, but for some, or for your own information, the following some errors, the Roman Catholic theology and the correct teaching from Scripture. The Roman Catholic worships Christ, but worship Him in vain. He says, but in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. That's also found in the book of Mark, chapter 7. But they don't believe what he said, and they don't believe what he did. So you're not really worshiping Christ when you don't listen to what he said and don't believe what he did. So they worship him in vain because they're still not saved until you trust what Christ said and trust what Christ did. Now, what he did was he paid for my sins. What he said was, if I believe it, I'd have eternal life. So you've got to know what he did, and you've got to know what he said. So that's part of the good news that we tell people. Look down at the bottom of the page, and I want you to take your Bible and look at this first of all. Look over there in the book of 1 Peter and be there in just a second, chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, if Peter was the first pope, I remember, and I made that statement this morning, that Jesus healed his mother-in-law, and who in the world would want a mother-in-law without a wife? So I do believe that he had a wife. And then he says something about this hierarchy. And I don't think that you'll find what Peter's talking about here in the Catholic Church. The elders which are among you, I exhort who am also an elder. He did not say he was a pope, and he was one of the elders, and if he was, there was a bunch of them that were too. He wasn't the only one, so it must have been, if they were, he was a, a, a pope, there must have been, what, 11 popes at the same time? I don't think so. But look what he says. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Fleece the flock of God, which is among you. Did I say something wrong? No, don't fleece the flock. It says, feed the flock. Feed the flock which is among you, taking the oversight, and that means the, the duty and the desire and the delight of serving God and serving God's people. He says, take the oversight not by constraint, well, I have to do this, but willingly. Do it willingly. Every position that anybody has in whatever you do for the Lord, do it willingly cheerfully, with a smile on your face. Don't begrudge doing, well, I have to go to church today. 
And we all stand and sing. Smile a while and give your friends a rest. No. As he says, neither of being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. But the verse right before that, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucres, but of a ready mind. You don't do it just to become rich and to make money. You do it because you love the Lord. And we're going to be judged. So therefore, we're supposed to be servants of the Lord. And so instead of being served, we're to serve. When we have a pastor, the pastor's to serve. We have elders, elders serve. Deacons, deacons serve. So every position that you may have, you're looking for an area to serve. We're talking about vacation Bible school. We're trying to find people who want to serve these little kids. We're going to have camp for older kids. We've got to have people that will serve. Do what they need. Those kids need your attention. Remember, everybody in the world is a problem. Everybody's got problems. If nobody had problems, nobody would have a job. So we are problem solvers. Now, we don't try to solve people's problems with the answer that the world may give. We seek to solve people's problems in a spiritual sense. Because I believe in pretty much all problems are spiritual problems. Somebody's not right with God. If everybody was right with God, we wouldn't have as many problems as we have. It's just it's a spiritual problem. You know, the, the husband and the wife fighting, the kids and the, all the problems that goes on, and the, the hatred and the bitterness and the envy and jealousy and all, those are spiritual problems. So we try to get people right with the Lord, and we believe we'll solve problems doing it that way. But anyway, look at page two. Page two. When he says, neither as being lords over God's heritage. That means we're not supposed to be little bosses over God's people. We're not bosses. We're servants. Look what he says here. The Bible never teaches that the spiritual leader of the flock is to be the boss. The leader is to give positive leadership, but not to try to play God in people's lives. And there are people in the Catholic Church hierarchy whether it's the Pope or the Cardinals or the Bishops and on down the priest, they play God in people's life. You confess your sins to Him and He can forgive you. I don't need Him. I've got a high priest. And I only need one. And therefore I have access unto the throne of grace. Come boldly to the throne of grace in the name of Mary. No. I've got a, a way to get there. I'm supposed to come boldly to the throne of grace. And I don't have to go through anybody except through Jesus Christ. He made a way. And so you look there at that verse in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, right there in your note. For we preached not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants. Your servants. This is what Paul, this is how he saw himself. We do what we do because we're trying to find a way to serve people. I'm always looking for people who want to help serve who want to help people. Therefore, if you want to help people spiritually, you got to be spiritually strong. you got to be a good spiritual leader because you're trying to help people from God's viewpoint. See, there's always a divine perspective and a human perspective. And the human perspective is not what we're looking for. We're looking for a divine perspective. Seeing things, seeing people the way God sees them. And you want to study the Word of God so that you'll be able to use God's answers, God's solutions to people's problems.
So we always use people's problems to get them to the Lord. If you come to see me and you've got a problem, I'm going to try to see how you're doing spiritually. First thing I do, I use people's problems to get them to the Lord. Something's not right. This is where we've got to try to get the answer. So this is why you study the Bible so that you can be a tool God can use and the Holy Spirit can bring things to your remembrance. He's the counselor. This is the counseling book that we use. Look at the next statement. Jesus had much to say along this line, but Jesus called them to him and said unto them, You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordships over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. You want to be great in the eyes of the Lord? Be a great servant. Humble yourself to meet people's needs. Lost men need the gospel. Christians also need a good example. So you're doing what you do because you want God to use you to reach people. The next statement. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He came for others. This is why we study the Word of God. This is why we meet together as a church, so we can get spiritually strong, so that God can use us to help meet people's needs. And people have needs. So, look at number three. Matthew 23, 9 says, And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. The Catholics make a great mistake in that they demand reverence of human beings, and they claim to be father. I have an earthly father, and he's been dead for about almost 30 years. And God was not my father until I trusted him as my Savior and I was born into his family. So the fatherhood of God is not true. He is the God and creator, but he's not your father until you're born into his family. So the most important thing you can do is get people to trust Christ as Savior. And then you can deal with them as, look, this is what your heavenly father wants you to do with your life. You deal with them now on you're a child of God and you have a choice now. You have a choice to be obedient. You have a choice you can be disobedient. But you're still his child. But if you're an obedient child, God will bless. And if you're disobedient, God will chasten. But you see, those are consequences to your decision. So every one of God's children should decide what he wants to do with his life. And you can discern wiser things by studying the book. So the Bible is to help a man to discern so he'll know to go right or left, good or bad. And this is what he's talking about in Hebrews in chapter 5. Now look there at number 4. There's some people that say that, you know, uh, Mary was not um, a sinner. And they call her queen of heaven. She's not the queen of heaven. I'm sorry, she is not the queen of heaven. Now there is a king of heaven, but there's not a queen yet. And he says that Mary was... Blessed among women, but not blessed above women. They also like to teach that Mary did not have any children except Jesus. But that is not true because the Bible tells us that she did have children and mentions those in the scriptures. Look down at the last paragraph on page two. The apostle referred to the whole group of Christians as saints. Ephesians chapter 1 and the book of Corinthians and Philippians, to the saints at, to the saints, to the saints. This is very important, so look at this. 
God makes a person a saint. Man does not. Man cannot make a person a saint. He can't make himself one. How can he make somebody else one? How do you get to be a saint? Now, you want to know what a saint looks like? Why would you laugh? I'm as serious as a heart attack. Am I, now be honest, honest, as far as you know about this book, am I a saint as far as you know? See there? Now, am I a saint because you say I'm a saint? Then why am I a saint? Because God says so. You see, the Greek word hagiazo means to be made pure and holy and set apart. I have been sanctified. I've been called a saint because I belong to the Lord. I am pure and holy in the eyes of God. And it's God that makes a saint. No man can make me pure and holy. I'm sorry. So there's a lot of different rules and regulations. Because remember, any religion that adds works to the gospel is contrary to the gospel. The gospel cannot contain works to it. So whenever different religions have works added to their message, they simply change the order or the list of the works. But if it's works, it still works. And if it's works, it's not the gospel. So you have all these religions that teach all these different things, and yet the Bible says there's only one gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, if that's one gospel, then all true preachers, religious organizations, whatever they are, ought to have the same gospel. Since somebody doesn't have the same gospel as what the Bible describes as the gospel, then somebody is wrong. They can't all be right. And this is what we talked about this morning. But it's still true. Look at the next line here. God points out the person as a saint, man does not. God sets up the conditions of being a saint, man does not. And neither does the Roman Catholic Church. But you see, you have to explain some of these things because some people, they just don't know. They don't see anything wrong. Well, all the religions, they're just trying to be good. But that's the problem. You don't have to try to be good. Salvation is free. Isn't it better for me? To serve God because I love Him, because of what He did for me, than to me to try to be good to get to heaven when it won't work. I would rather people just know the truth. I would rather people go to heaven in diapers than not get there at all. Some people may trust Christ as Savior and never grow at all, never mature at all, but at least they'll be in heaven. I believe that God has a, a way of raising His children. And he may not use me to raise all of his children, but I believe God knows how to work in his children, and he knows who they are. He has this seal. The Father knoweth them that are his, and that is eternal security. Because he can never say, I never knew you, because he does know you. He knows all of his children. And I had a person tell me, well, I can't believe God would send his children to hell. Well, God won't send any of his children to hell. None of God's children can go to hell impossible. Now look at the top of the page up there, and you'll notice when it comes to a mediator, now somebody who goes between you and the person to mediate a, a, a problem. Now you know we have a problem. God is holy. We're not. We need a mediator. 
So some people say, well, you know, uh, it's better to go through Mary because, you know, she's the mother. And it's so much easier and better to go through Mary because she's the mother and she can put in a good word for you. Yeah, but where do you find that in the Bible? Mary had a problem just like I did. When she says, I rejoice in God, my Savior. Now, if she says she needed a Savior, she's also admitting she needed to be saved. She must be admitting she is a sinner. Just like all the rest of us. Now, look at the number five, top of page three. The Pope, the priest, Mary, the saints, none of these can mediate between God and man. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2, 5. The believer is invited to come straight to the Lord through Jesus Christ in time of need. Now, look at this next statement. This is so important. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heaven, Jesus the Son of God, so you'll know who he is. Let us hold fast our profession. But we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. And I don't need a priest to do this. Every one of us can because we already have somebody we can go to and go through, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So every one of us, once you trust Christ as your Savior, you are a child of God. And you can ask your Heavenly Father in His Son's name. It never says to ask Him in Mary's name. You don't have to pray through anybody else. It won't help. It's a waste of time. Well, you know, I love my father-in-law because he led me to the Lord. So I know that he's up in heaven, and I want him to put in a good word. So, Lord, I want you to bless me. And if you have any questions about me, talk to my father-in-law. He knew me real pretty good. He even talked to me and led me to the Lord. So I'm going to ask in his name. Is that wise or unwise? Then it'd be unwise to do it in Mary's name. Or the Pope's name. Or anybody else's name. We do it in his name. Look at the next statement. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way. Look at the next verse. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now get this. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. By him we have access into this grace. You see, you don't need somebody else. All I need was Christ. Because the Bible says grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. If I want grace, i got to get it from the person who has it. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he saves you by grace. Not by your works, but because of what he did on the cross for us. Now, look down at number six. There's a verse there that says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful. Now, this is to the believer. Once you've trusted Christ as your Savior, and you do things that you shouldn't do, Remember, the payment Christ made was the penalty for all of our sins. Now, as a child of God, you may sin against God and sin against people. You sin against people, you confess it to the people that you want them to forgive you for. You sin against God, then you ought to confess that to God. Now, the reason He can forgive me is because He's already paid for my sins. All my sins are being forgiven because of the blood of Christ. But the penalty has been paid forever. But now, when I sin, I'm sinning because I am a child of God with my Father. And before, I was a lost man 
against God, the creator, the judge of all the earth. So the judge will never have to penalize me and condemn me. I can never be condemned again. But I want things to be right between me and my heavenly father. So I keep the plate clean. When I do something that I know that's not right, I think of something that's not right, when should you wait? Wait before you go to bed at night. And every night, get beside your bed. And as I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now, that sounds like a good little prayer. I prayed it for years. But it's really not scriptural. And it's not really a good prayer. I already know I'm going to heaven. But whenever you're married to your wife, and you say something, or she says something, and you kind of get at each other like that there, just because you do didn't mean, well, you're no longer married. Because you hurt her feelings, she hurt your feelings. Now you're not married anymore. No, you're still married. But you may not have the peace that you want and the joy that you want. You might have to do a little apologizing and so forth and a little mutual forgiveness and keep on going. So that's the way it is between you and your heavenly father. But now notice, in number seven, purgatory is not mentioned in the Bible. There is no place of cleansing other than the blood of Jesus Christ. First John 1, 7 says, the blood of Jesus Christ has cleanses us from all sin. And then we showed you this morning in the book of Hebrews in chapter 1 and verse 3, how that Jesus Christ by himself has purged all of our sins. That means there's no purgatory. He's already paid for all of your sins and purged you from it as though you've been separated from your sins and you are standing before God as perfect and righteous and just and holy as though you had never committed a sin in your life. Now that's what God says. And that's how you are seen through the eyes of the Lord. God doesn't see me as a sinner. God sees me as a saint. Is because I deserve it? No. It's called G-R-A-C-E, grace. Look down at the bottom of the page. Number eight, the Bible teaches that if a person is lost, he goes to hell. If a person is saved, he goes to be with the Lord in heaven. There is no such thing as purgatory. To depart and to be with Christ, we are confident and willing rather to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. When you die, when I die, I'm so glad that I don't have to go to a place called purgatory and there wait and depend upon somebody else's prayers to get me out or somebody else's money to get me out. Salvation was not purchased by corruptible things as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. People's money, that's why we tell people, money doesn't get you to heaven. Don't give money to go to heaven. And going to church can't get you to heaven because the church can't get you there either. This church, the Mormon church, the Catholic church, the Baptist church, any Protestant church, no church can save anybody. No preacher can save anybody. There's only one Savior, and that's Jesus Christ. And once you trust Him as your Savior, He gives to you eternal life. And you get to go to heaven on what Christ did on the cross for you. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. While it represents sin, we all have sin on us. God loves us. Now, He hates our sin, but He loves us. And for us to pay for sin, of which we're all guilty, we're all in the same boat, then the payment for sin is eternal separation from God. The soul that sinned shall die. And that's why everybody here is going to die. We're all going to die. But God wants us to go to heaven. And heaven is a beautiful place, a wonderful place. 
place like paradise. You can't think of a better word that describes what God is talking about than paradise. Supposed to be the most wonderful place in all the world. And that's where God lives and he wants us to be with him. So wherever he is, I want to be there. And heaven is perfect. And so is God. But we're not. We have sin. We can't get in. So the Bible says that we cannot save ourselves. We need somebody to go to God for us. There is no man that can do that. God can't die. So God sent his son into the world to take upon flesh so that he might taste death for every man. So Christ was God in the flesh. And he had to do it in the flesh for the purpose of dying. So he came to the world, took all of our sins, paid for them on the cross, came back from the dead, and said that if we would believe that he did it for us, he would put that payment to our account. We'd go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for us. When you believe that, I have a payment for how many of my sins? All of my sins, they're all paid. He did that 2,000 years ago. There'll never be another payment required. No more offering for sin. It's done once and for all. Let's pray, shall we? With head bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, if you're here tonight, or if you're watching by internet, and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, why not right now in the quietness of this moment, just be honest between you and the Lord and say, Lord, I know I can't earn eternal life. I'll never be good enough, but I know I'm a sinner. And tonight I believe that when Christ died, I believe he died for me. And I will accept him and him alone as my only hope of going to heaven. And friend, God said if you would trust him, he would save you. So that when you get up to leave, you can say, I know I'm going to heaven because tonight I trusted Christ as my Savior. Now I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to require anything from you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come forward. But right where you're sitting, if what I said made sense, you say, Preacher, would you pray for me? I'll trust Christ as my Savior tonight. Friend, I'd love to know if what I said made sense to you. So raising your hand doesn't save you just to let me know that you're trusting the Lord and I'd like to have prayer for you. There's no one at all. Just slip it up very quickly and put it right back down. Anyone at all? If you're watching by internet, right on the screen, you can click on the little button there and let us know. Father, we thank you so much for all you've done for us. Thank you for your word that you've given us. And help us, Father, to whenever we're talking, whether the person is Jewish or whether they're Catholic or even whether they're Baptist or anything else, it doesn't matter. All people have the same problem. They may be trusting in their works to get to heaven. And Father, help us to love them, to care for them, and speak the truth in love. We thank you so much for all that you do for us. In Christ's name, amen.